What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are going to turn our attention to New York City, where there is a, a fight happening uh, to uh, provide parents uh, protections from what my next guests are calling the family policing system. We are joined this morning by Sarah Dugan, the manager of communications and storytelling with JMAC for Families, a New York-based nonprofit working to dismantle the family policing system while simultaneously investing in community support that keeps family families together. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We're also joined by Desiree Wright, an impacted parent and advocate at the Bronx Defenders, which is an organization that is radically transforming how low-income people in the Bronx are represented in the justice system and, in doing so, is transforming the system itself. Good morning, Desiree. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. So first question, what is the family policing system and why do you all at JMAC for Families use that language? Um, Sarah, do you want to take that one or you want to throw it to Desiree? Sure, sure. I can I can get started and Desiree, feel free to jump in. Um, so most people are, are familiar with what is often referred to as the child welfare system. Uh, the system includes child protection agencies, foster agencies, and the other mechanisms that the state uses to, quote unquote, uh, protect children. But what we know is that for generations, families have reported that this system that claims to protect children is actually what is causing some of the most severe harms to children and families. Uh, this is a system that uses its resources to investigate and to criminalize families and to, to forcibly tear children from their parents and their homes, this, this system was not built to support families or to advance public safety because what, what most families need to be safe is as simple as stable housing and employment services and educational supports and, and health care. This system doesn't give families any of that. Um, instead, it, it really punishes people for not having access to these things and, and makes it harder for them to access these resources. So like like the criminal legal system, like most systems, um, the system is, is racist to its core. Uh, it targets and polices Black and Latina families at outrageously high rates. And it's it's for all of those reasons that, that impacted families have begun to call the child welfare some, system something new and something more accurate. And uh, that is the, the family policing system. Yeah, we've actually been covering the family policing system on this show quite extensively over the last couple of months. And something that I think is super important to highlight is that even though they use a narrative, and we're going to talk about narrative versus reality uh, in just a little bit, that they're going in to you know, deal with abuse. That the facts, the facts mm-hmm. of the matter are that, first of all... Um, what they're actually often responding to is race, you know, conditions created by racism and poverty. And second of all, that large swaths of our children did not experience abuse until they were in the system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. I I think the family regulation system is society's response to poverty. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And Desiree, I was actually just going to, I was going to turn it to you because I'd like you to share with our listeners in whatever detail or little detail you want um, to tell your personal story. What happened to you? Yeah. um, At the age of 17, um, I was illegally um, tested uh, by the hospital uh, and um, me and my son. And uh, they, uh, when I thought I was going home with that baby, um, they actually had called ACS. I had social workers coming into my room and um, just basically just telling me that they were, that I couldn't leave with that, with my baby um, because um, they found marijuana in the system and in the baby system. And the funny thing is when they came in at first, they came in as social workers, right? And they were like, um, yeah. We're here to, you know, ask you a couple of questions. And I'm like, hmm, why would they, you know, I had a child before this and this has never happened. So I'm like not understanding. And so um, they had already did a test on my child and me. And so I'm like, what, well, what is going on? And so they just ambushed me with, you know, that he was uh, tested positive for marijuana. And I'm like, okay, wow, Um, I found out late that I was pregnant anyway, you know, like five and a half months by then. I'm, you know, and I was young, but nevertheless to say, they took my family through a bunch of trauma for three and a half years and put my son in the system, uh, not the one that tested positive, the my youngest son that I had after him who tested negative, and I was doing everything that they wanted me to do uh, for a whole year and a half, and they were still making me jump through hoops and everything just to get my child back. Um, around that time, um, I was young. I didn't know anything. They didn't have parent advocates around that time. I had just a lawyer who probably had about 100 cases that he or she were dealing with at the time, you know. And so I was going to the agency to go visit my son. They were coming up with all tactics of why they wouldn't bring him, uh, the foster parent couldn't come, couldn't attend. It was just a, a, a whole fight that me and my family had to literally go through to get my son back. And even then, they didn't want to give him back. And the foster parent was losing her home. Meanwhile, my family has two owns two homes. And we're like, no, just give him back. Like, I can take care of my son. I'm very capable of taking care of my son. I'm young. You're intervening in my education. I couldn't go to school because you wanted me to go to all these different programs. And around that time, they didn't have programs for minors like that. Like, they didn't have that, especially not for marijuana, right? They had it for – I had to sit in there listening to adults. Like, I'm like, wow, I really don't want to – be here you know I should be in school but um they kicked me out my grandmother's home I was I they did so much to me at a young age and then um prior now I'm older I know my rights I advocate for families now and I had anonymous calls on me and because I know my rights now I was able to pause them stop them at the door I didn't let them in I was able to divulge what I wanted them to divulge I had an attorney as soon as possible and it, it, it went so much smoother and I was able to keep my son safe in the home with me you know I was able to do that not one time two times I had anonymous calls on me and I was still able to keep my son in my home because I knew my rights if I didn't know my rights 
I would have been railroaded. It's so many families that I'm dealing with today that do not know their rights and they're being railroaded. Right. Which is why you all are fighting for the family Miranda, excuse me, family Miranda rights act. What would that do? And where is it in the process, Sarah? Sure. So the family Miranda rights act, um, so, well, let me start with, uh, while we, we know that, that caseworkers with, with child protective services with the family policing system act like police and people experience uh, these interactions like police interactions, they are not required to read people their rights. This is why in Desiree's experience, she didn't know her rights that she had because no one informed them, no one informed her of the rights that were right. guaranteed to her by New York state law and by the constitution. So this bill uh, would require the, the family police to inform people of their rights, uh, the right to speak to an attorney, their right to deny entry into the home, to not share private and vulnerable medical history, uh, to not allow the family police to, to speak to their child, to strip search their child, which often happens during investigations. Um, it's, it's a really simple bill in a lot of ways because these rights already exist. It's just a matter of, of making sure that families know what is what is in the law and what they have the right to say no to. Um, we are we're heading towards the end of the legislative session. There's been a ton of momentum thanks to really generations of families that have worked uh, on on explaining the realities of the system, uh, but we still have a little ways to go. All right. Well, we will continue to track this legislation and bring you back on the show as it moves forward. Thank you both so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, Kat. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.